Holy Lord, today we are gathered again to worship you as people filled with your spirit who cannot help but worship you. We have come today to sing your praise, to pray to you, to honor and glorify you, and especially on this last Sunday in Advent to announce once more our Maranatha prayer. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, come quickly. But if you hesitate for just a moment, we can bring one more safely into the fold. Hear us, Lord, as we pray with thanksgiving for the birth of a child, the gift of a son. Hear us, Lord, as we pray with thanksgiving for the countless blessings that we have received because this is the season of your favor. You have given us your favor because of the sacrifice of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. You have made more provision for us than we'll ever really be able to account for because of Jesus. And it is then for his name's sake that we pray especially for others today. In the spirit of our Lord Jesus, we pray that whomever we've called to mind might receive the blessing they need and the encouragement they need and the miracle that they seek. Hear us, O Lord, as we pray together for this next couple of weeks, which brings about the end of another year on our Roman calendar, which brings about the beginning of something new and the opportunity to do something fresh, to start a new decade with the clean slate. Oh God, help us as we gather in your name for not only worship, but service. Help us to seek you in the face of those who need to see your flesh, to feel the touch of your hand, to hear your voice. Help us, Lord, to see you as we strengthen our boundaries against sin, but soften our boundaries against discomfort. Hear us as we seek you around those with whom we don't feel we have much in common. Help us to see you in the faces of others, even where there are language issues and other barriers. Oh God, help us as we worship you this fourth Sunday of Advent to believe with all our hearts in the amazing miracle of the virgin birth, the amazing and unbelievable glory of heaven that was opened up that night. Help us to understand the magnitude of this event and the majesty. Help us, Lord, to be humble and selfless, dedicated to your will, whatever it costs us, so that our lives would praise you and glorify you in the way that we love one another. 
And in that same spirit of love, we hear your words in our hearts as we speak them together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. I know what the problem is. It's all the sugar you've been eating lately. You eat all those cookies and candies and things that people bring to the office and bring to your home or that you made for the upcoming celebrations, and then after the sugar rush wears off, you crash. That's what's going on. I just figured it out. You should have had bacon for breakfast. <laughs> right, Scott? Yep. <laughs> This morning, we're going to read from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. And if you'd like to read with me, you can open up your Bible to Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. And in the Pew Bible, that will be on page 959. In fact, that's the page that doesn't have the page number on it, but trust me. All right, here we go. Matthew chapter 1, starting at verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her from the Holy, is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 explains Christmas completely. Not to dispute Linus. You know, I've mentioned the gospel according to Linus from the Peanuts, just in case you don't know where I'm going with that. Linus was quoting the gospel of Luke, which is a beautiful version of the story of the birth of the Christ child. But Isaiah 9 verse 6 sums it up perfectly. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. 
For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be upon his shoulders. <laughs> and every time I read that, because I've sung in the Messiah, Handel's Messiah, I always want to sing, and his name shall be called. <laughs> yeah, the choir people are all laughing because they get it. <laughs> Wonderful. Okay. This was fulfilled in Jesus, you understand? That's the reason this passage is so important, because it was fulfilled in Jesus. A child was born, a son was given. Isn't that a remarkable passage, if you think, really think about what it's saying? Hundreds of years before his birth, the prophet Isaiah predicts that Jesus will be the child who is born, who is the son that is given. And that son is with a capital S, if you want to get right down to the nuts and bolts of things, meaning the son of God. It was fulfilled in Jesus as soon as Jesus was conceived in Mary. Now, Isaiah's prophecies cover a span of time so that some of the things he predicted, or better yet, gave signs to, have come to pass, while others have not yet. Some refer to events that were far closer to the occasion of his prophecy, while some still await fulfillment. Prophecy in the Bible is not so much a prediction as it is a sign, and that's a really important thing to keep in mind, because, because when we talk about predictions, well, you know, if you've been at the store lately, I won't go anywhere near a store this time of the year, but I remember that at the checkout, you can always see all those, those uh, magazines that have predictions for the coming year, right? This is the time of the year when they have all those predictions for 2020, and, and the seers and the sages are out there telling you all these prophecies, but they're not prophecies, they're predictions. There's a difference. A prophecy is a sign. A sign is something that tells you where you are or how far you are from where you're going. That's what a sign does, right? We, we trust signs when we're driving on the roadways to tell us how far it is to the next exit or to the destination that we intend to go to. We trust signs to tell us where the bathroom is or where the exit is, or signs are all around us reminding us of important information. And signs are pretty trustworthy for the most part, although I remember a story I heard David going to like this one. Apparently there was a guy who owned a big warehouse that was right on the final flight path for landing at a major airport. And he thought it would be nice to put a message on the roof of his warehouse, and so he put on the roof of the warehouse, Welcome to Detroit. And that was really nice, except that it was Cleveland, That's a true story, by the way. I don't remember the city names exactly at this point. But, but that's pretty funny when you think about it because, you know, if you were on that airplane getting ready to land and you looked out your window and, you, you know, because you know how it is when you're getting ready to land, you can see all the details down there and, and here's this great big sign on a roof that says, welcome to the wrong city. That's a sign that is not reliable. So you have to have additional information to validate signs to make sure that you are, in fact, experiencing a trustworthy sign. And so prophecy 
serves two purposes. It serves as a roadmap of things that will happen according to God's will, but it also serves as an indication that this is, in fact, what God is doing. So it's a way of knowing that God's at work and that this isn't some sort of gag or joke like the one I just told you about. So the prophecies that Isaiah has given us were fulfilled in some ways prior to the birth of Jesus, in other ways through the birth of Jesus, and in yet other ways through things that have not occurred yet. But if you want to know for sure whether you can believe that the signs that we should be looking for in the future will occur, all you have to do is look at the signs that have already occurred and you're confirmed in the truth or trustworthiness of this sign or the prophecy. And so this gets us to the point where we see a number of prophecies about the birth of Jesus, about the birth of the Messiah in the Bible. Towards the end of his ministry years on earth, Jesus said, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Jesus said that he intends to fulfill everything that was said about him according to the prophecies of the Bible. He just described essentially what the Bible was in those days. And what do we see? Immediately after Adam and Eve have sinned against God, rejected God's authority and goodness in their lives, God predicts that God doesn't predict it. He says, this is how it's going down. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, referring to the serpent that tempted Adam and Eve and caused them to sin or led them to sin. They made the decision. He says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. And at first it sounds like it's about Eve's children, but then it says, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Well, there's only one child that has crushed the head of Satan, and that is, of course, Jesus. And so this is the child of Mary. And of Satan, we can say for sure, through reading Scripture, that Satan was nipping at the heels of Jesus all the time that Jesus was in the process of fulfilling everything that had been said about him in the Bible. God told Abraham, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand of the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Well, on a superficial level, that's an amazing prophecy because these are two old people who have no hope of having children at this point in their lives, and God is saying that he will be the father of all of that. Then they have a child, one child. And then God compels Abraham to sacrifice that child, to kill that child. And Abraham says, well, if that's your will, Lord, knowing full well 
that God had already said through him all of that would happen. And of course, God sends a sacrificial ram in the thicket in place of the one that Abraham was compelled to sacrifice. And there's a prediction right there, a sure-fired sign of things to come because our firstborn will not, will not be sacrificed. And the vision that God gave to Abraham of a future where many nations would be blessed because of his offspring was fulfilled because God provided a sacrificial lamb in the place of the human sacrifice. Isaiah said this, Therefore the Lord himself will bring you a sign. A virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. You heard that in today's reading. It had happened. The prophet Micah said, But to you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Then, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, uh, I'm sorry, Matthew tells us, and then Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea. In other words, all these prophecies, and I've only given you a few brief examples, all the signs that we were told to look for showed up. And the truth about Jesus was revealed because of the signs. In other words, to put this sign topic to an end for the moment, let me just say that if I tell you how to get from here to a city up the road and I tell you to look for certain signs along the way, you take it on faith that I've told you truthfully. But how you know that I've told you truthfully is because you have seen the signs along the way that I told you to look for, and that's how you can be sure that you have arrived at the destination that you meant to go to. That's what prophecy is for us, and the prophecy has spoken plainly about the coming of Christ the Lord. Now let's talk about something that is central. This is like the most pivotal doctrinal thing in Christianity and it's not a topic that we're comfortable with, but we have to talk about the virgin birth. We have to talk about that because it's the critical part of our Christian doctrine. And there's been a lot of debate about it over the years, and there are a lot of people that find it hard to accept. But as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, this is vital to us because our very salvation depends on this truth. Now, there are mythological traditions that go back for as long as recorded history about various gods of old and various pagan uh, entities having sexual relations with earthly women and producing hybrids. It's even in the Bible in Genesis chapter 6. So this in itself is not uncommon. But we read very specifically that Mary gave birth while still a virgin. And no, I don't want to get crude with you, but I want your belief to be complete. I want the signs to reveal the truth to you and to give you 
promise and hope. And so I hope that most of us have a basic understanding of human procreation and the nature of virginity. In this regard, we can then be certain that there is something unique in all of human history that has occurred with Mary. Mary has conceived a child with the, hope of, with the help of the Holy Spirit, and she gave birth while a virgin to this child, meaning that he is human because of her, divine because of the Spirit that caused her conception and therefore led to the birth of Jesus. This is really important. This is vital, and Christ, Christmas is, is really all about that. We miss it because we get wrapped up in all the other things, the prettier things, the things that you can talk about with your children, <laughs> things that you can talk about in mixed company. But, but this is really important. This is really important because it is the sign, the critical sign, that this is the Son of God that is being born. And remember, our title today is quite simply, A Child is Born, a Son is Given. She gave birth to a child. The Lord God presented us with his son. And so Jesus is fully divine and fully human. Through Mary, he is acquainted with all of our human weaknesses, all of our human frailty, the entirety of our human condition. Through his heavenly father, he is unique in all of creation. And therefore, the only one capable of bearing upon himself the very essence of sin because he's the only one who has never been associated with sin. Scripture tells us very plainly that he is very familiar with temptation, that temptation has come his way numerous times in his life, and he has experienced temptation. You have to realize how important that is, too. He was tempted. What does it mean to be tempted? When you think about your temptations, what does that mean to you? Because it meant the same thing to him. And so he's very familiar with our temptation, but the one thing he does not have is sin. What we would call natural sin in the religious theological vernacular. And so this Jesus... As Mary rightly asks the angel Gabriel, how can this be? She's, she's familiar with her condition. She knows the basics of the birds and the bees and all of that. And she says to the angel fairly, how can this be? Joseph asked the question honestly and fairly, how can this be? And note that Matthew goes out of his way to remind us that Joseph and Mary did not have any kind of intimate relationship prior to the birth of Jesus. This is to assure us that she was a virgin when she gave birth to Jesus. And so we can say with confidence this Christmas, and we should say every day of our lives, unto us a child was born, a son was given. The child was one who knew everything about being human that I know about being human, and more. The Son was the one who, unlike any other being who ever existed, could take away the sin of the world. 
so that we could be forgiven and welcomed into the household of God. And if you remember from a couple of weeks ago, that means that the, the glorious announcement of the angels is true, that because of this birth, there will be peace between God and people who accept the gift of God's goodwill. The Gospel of John informs us that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And at Christmas time, we celebrate that truth just as much as we do at Easter time or any other time of the year because this is the gift of the Son, Mary's child. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Please impart it to our spirits in a way that makes our Christmas different this year from any we've ever experienced. For the one who's experiencing this truth in a new and profound way and perhaps ready to commit themselves to your favor, I pray that they will do so, that they will speak honestly with you and receive the blessing of your forgiveness and grace. And Lord, for the rest of us, let it be a time of honest reflection an admission of our ignorance and guilt and an opportunity for us to grow and prosper in the Spirit so that we might be your instruments of grace, givers of gifts and love like yours during the Christmas season and into this new year. And we ask this for Christ's name's sake. Amen. Amen.